buttons and I shouldn't get stuck on that. Oh, recording and progress. Yeah. Recording it on my computer. I did not realize that the first of people clicked. Okay. I mean, the way I, 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 I was not paying attention. Basically, I was asking, I don't get what it means that when, it, when he says, sorry, he says, awareness is, is timeless. And then what, and the way I understood it, Anu, was uh, that I am awareness and I am eternal and therefore it's timeless and therefore, you know, awareness is timeless. If you think about it, uh, you are always aware now. Even if you remember something from the past, you are aware now of that memory. So awareness is always in now. Uh, okay. It's always present. It cannot be past. Because whatever you are recollecting or doing anything from past or even imagining about the future, you are doing it now. Mm -hmm. And even the concept of time is in awareness, right? It's um, awareness, because of awareness we have the concept of time, otherwise we wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about past and future now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Time thing is in your awareness. It's, a, it's an interesting point to catch, but think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I need to just give it a little more thought. Yeah, because I think... You know the way they describe Maya? Maya is space-time causation. So they exist in Maya, not in awareness. So even mm -hmm. the cause, even the cause and effect is in Maya. That's why you cannot say why Maya. It's like asking what is outside space. If the question itself is wrong. <laughs> yeah. So time is in Maya. So the question before and after time is is wrong and consciousness is outside of it. So, because we are comparing relative to Maya, we say eternal. But otherwise, it's actually just now. Yeah, so that part, for me, becomes easier to get. But when I just read a sentence like this, and then after that, I, I for me, I have to concretize a lot of things. I can't just only deal with the abstract. And hence, I think I just get into this loop. Years I have uh, thought about this, but how is it possible that there is no time? And then, actually, it is, everything is now. You, you can, I think the minute you say it's now, then I think it makes it easier. You know, interestingly, uh, another aspect to this on the now part, right? Uh, um, I was listening to a YouTube uh, link sent by my father-in-law, and uh, in that it says, let's say in the middle of the, in the night, you go out and look at look at into a star. Okay? Do you know that the star exists or not? It may not be there. It would have gone exactly. by now. Because what we see is the light that comes from the star, and it takes a few light years to come from from there to here. By the time that light that light has traveled from there to here, whatever that time it takes. Okay. By the time that particular star which has emitted that light a few light years back would have been dissipated, that disintegrated and gone. But there is an apparent evidence to it that it is still existing. 
Actually, that concept yeah. we say that what we see is not, may not be true, right? What a sincere. Very interesting. Mm. So basically, you guys are saying that don't believe anything you see. It may be true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, you think of the best example is I don't know if you if you did a watch the video what I sent yesterday. It's the illusion of putting the spoon in the glass in the glass of water shows that the glass, the, the spoon is broken. So, in your perception that the spoon is broken, but is it actually broken? So, if you cognize something which is broken as broken, then you are seeing reality is reality. But if you are cognizing something which is not broken as broken, then you are misunderstanding reality. Rajesh, say that again. If you see, if something is broken, okay, and you see it as broken, then you are understanding reality the way it is. But if something is not broken, like the spoon in the water that we say, and if I have misinterpreted it and misinterpreted it, because it, is, it looks broken, therefore it is broken, then I have not understood the reality the way it is. Or it is masked by the ignorance which can be removed. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it. And actually, yeah. think about it this way. Okay, let's say that, you know, in the room, wherever the test sitting, assume that you switched off all the lights and there's no light coming in. Okay? Do you know what... Can you say whether something exists in that room or not? Like chair, table, does it exist or not? You cannot say it because they may exist, they may not exist. Because ignorance has, you know, like in the form of darkness has covered that and you've got to remove that ignorance somehow by, by turning on the switch. Only then you know what is there or not there. Likewise, we, have, we are ignorant in our mind about what is reality. So, the idea is not to change the world. The idea is to change the reality within ourselves to get the reality. Yeah. Hmm. The coronary is, uh, is face dark or it's filled with light. It's actually filled with light. Only when something passes through it, it can reflect light and we see that there is light there. But otherwise it appears to be dark. So, there are lots of examples of what we see. May not be right, right? And hence the perception. Mm -hmm. That's why I was saying that most of what we perceive is not correct, right? I mean, it, like, it seems that from what you guys are saying, that 95% of, I mean, a large number of things that you assume to be correct are actually not so because of the ignorance. Yeah, and that goes to the point that whatever you are seeing, actually, are you seeing the real object? No, it is the light reflected which is going inside your consciousness and creating an image, right? So you are just experiencing it inside your consciousness. You don't know whether they are there or not. Because right. no way to, to know. How do you know? I think it takes a very, this is the real trust of this thing that maybe nothing exists, it's just our experience. Because we are experiencing within us. Right. In fact, they, they categorize real as a deep end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
so they, they do categorize, uh, you know, the, um, whatever we know into five categories, in fact. One is direct knowledge, right? So you, you, uh, you know, you see the fire, right? So you know that it's fire. Uh, second is like, you know, alongside that is inference, which is that we see smoke and hence there must be fire, right? So that inference happens, right? So, you know, second one is the error. So mistaking a rope for a snake. So that is an error. So for us, we think it's a snake. It's true for us, but it is mistaken, right? Because we are seeing uh, a snake in a rope. There only one can exist. Um, so third one, uh, if I remember, is uh, memory, sleep, and then the last one is, uh, I, I forgot. Uh, yeah, from uh, uh, what you hear. That's the word, basically, you hear it and then. This is the script, right? So, so if you were to classify that, there are very few things that are like directly perceptible, right? In the sense, we still don't directly perceive, but in terms of, uh, uh, you know, we can we can at least remove the other thing. Saying, is this inference? Is this something that I can really say that uh, I've um, uh, the direct perception for me? It's still perception. Is it direct perception or not? Right? Otherwise, it's, we are filled with. Um, uh, uh, memory or um, uh, what is the other one? Imagination, right? Um, and or error in judgment. We hear something and we, we perceive it in a wrong way. So by cutting across that and we filtering it out and saying this is all I know. Anything else is is uh, uh, is an indirect reference uh, inference that I may, it may not be true, right? So. It's useful to also pass it along those lines. I mean, I, I find it useful in meditation to, to actually pass it out and, and to label it, right? Especially in the Buddhist meditations, for instance, they talk about labeling it. So in a way, oh, yeah, this is imagination. I can put that aside, right? Uh, or, you know, this is, um, uh, this is error and this is uh, something else. So out of those five, uh, basically, is, is, is how they classify it. It's interesting. Absolutely, Kishore, and that's why this conviction, the only thing we can ever say is, I am. You don't have a pramana for that. Yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. I am, I can. Yeah. That's the only direct perception, actually. Uh, sorry, that's only direct experience. That's everything. Direct perception or anything yeah. else. It's still perception. Is, I am. Correct. <laughs> even, even things that we can sense, uh, you know, yeah, so imagine or the touch or the feel or or okay. ears. Because even that touch, that's what I was saying. Actually, touch is a slightly hard one because you say, "Oh, I'm touching it." But yeah. the touch sensation goes to the mind, and mind confirms. Correct. Mind. That is where you see it, right? It's the mind which will confirm whether it is hot or not. It is not the touch. So how do you know we are touching it? It's the mind which is telling us that we are touching it. So, so, so they call this the eye of the eye, isn't it? I mean, they call the eye of the eye as in there is an eye, uh, the, the witness basically, but it's a, it's an eye that's inside you, which is observing the mind. So, yeah, the eye, the external eye might provide the signal, but the internal eye is is actually what uh, what is being perceived by the mind. So, what whatever we see is only the perception, right? No matter what. I mean, it can never even be else. Even if it's a direct... Um, it's still a direct perception, we call it. Yeah. 
And I think this discussion is very important because this is, like what Alpana was saying, this in my view is the fundamental core topic of Vedanta. It says that you don't know who you are. You have mistaken who you are. Right? And they are trying to qualify saying that who means what specifically. You keep on asking the question, is it my body, my mind, my senses, you know, my intellect, my memory, then you realize that's not that's not who you are. If that is not who you are, then who you are truly. Right? And that is where our problem comes. Because all our problems, see, why have, why have we started reading all these things? We want to see how to apply this in our, in our life and figure it out. And then they are changing the rules of the game entirely. Saying that, you know, you see, who you are is totally different than what is. If you, um, early on, if you, you know, they would say that, hey, even your current life is like a dream. It's the same thing as a dream, right? In the, in the same way that we feel that our dream is not, oh, well, that's a dream. It's not reality, right? And, um, whatever happened in the dream is a dream. The same way they actually say whatever is happening right now is also like a dream because everything is being perceived and not, um, nobody can say for sure and they can only see what is perceived. So, in the dream, we don't say that it is a dream. It's only when we wake up, we say that it's a dream. So, if we wake up to this reality, we see that this life is also like a dream. That's why it's called spiritual awakening. There's a famous story about Janaka. He was once sleeping and once he was, he just dreamt that, you know, there's an army which has attacked and he's been defeated and he was thrown out of this thing. And he, he was really hungry and there was a queue where they were serving for people. He was the last one. He reaches, uh, you know, when the queue reaches to him, so he little scrape left and he said, okay, whatever it is, just give me. I'm so hungry. And the moment he was about to eat it, uh, eagle snaps it and he doesn't get it and he suddenly wakes up. And then he realizes he's sleeping on the bed. So he goes into this mode. Is that real or is this real? So he, he, he almost becomes insane. So the the you know the, the people who are working they suddenly call the queen that we don't know what the king is saying. He just keeps repeating that is this true or is that true? Um, so then finally Ashtavakra comes and you know nobody could understand what's happening with Ashtavakra because he knew he said king when you were defeated were you sleeping on the bed? So he said no I don't know. And he said when you were you are awake can you Think of the attack and the army and the pain you went through, the hunger. He said, no. So he said, neither that is true nor this is true. So then he says, what is true? But he, then Ashtavatra says, but you were there to experience the defeat, everything else, and you were there to experience the now and this thing. So neither that is true nor that is true. You are true. Yeah. It's a wonderful story. I've heard this before and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, such, yeah, such. Yes, such, yeah, such. Yes, such, yeah, such. I mean, it's part of the Ashtavakra Gita or? Actually, no, it is not part of that. But it is a story. Story related to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One takeaway take that I have from this discussion, right, which I don't know how, uh, whether you, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying or not. You know, at one point, of, I have seen several people, and I have also done it, 
you know, I used to place a lot of significance on my dreams. Say, oh, kya ho sakta hai? What, what could be the reason why you have dreamt and all that? Nowadays, I don't even care. Dream is a dream. That's it. So, I, you know, if something really bad has happened or good has happened, I don't take it as an omen in my life anymore. Mm. That's my point, what I'm saying. I mean, that's liberating, you know. I don't have a bother. Yeah, oh, yeah, it happened, it happened. It's okay. It's all there in my mind. That's all that happened. That's what they say, right? Vedantin is not interested in what the content of the dream. So did you dream? Who dreamt it? You are interested in that. So even in the real life, what problems you are you are having, we don't care about it. We care about you who is experiencing those problems. So think about that. And it's a nice way to you know segregate the two. <laughs> yeah. Before the start started, I was thinking about this karma yoga and I was thinking that, you know, we can categorize into four types of things. So, the first one is where, you know, either you, you have realized you are enlightened or even you have understood it, that it is, you know, you are different from your body and mind complex. In that case, you can perceive that this body and mind is doing some action based upon the best logic that the, this mind can apply and hence some actions are appearing, right? So then you are not the doer because you realize that you are apart from the body-mind complex. So that's one category of people. And the second category of people is who are really into devotion. So they think, you know, they bring in God, the concept of God, and that God is getting things done through us. They have a staunch belief in that. So in that case, you are the doer, but there is an element of getting it done to you. So you're more of an instrument, right? So there's the intention plays a big role. You know, it's, it's, it's the intention that Bhagwan karwa rahe hai, and then you know, you're not that much associated with the result because you can also say, okay, it's God's wish, so whatever is the outcome is what He wished. So those are the second type of people. The third is where you are the doer, but you understand that there are a lot of forces which are working on the outcome. So you know, you associate with the outcome, but you are the doer. You put in the best effort. I will do what I can do, but obviously you associate yourself from the outcome. So that is Karma Yoga as well. So the first one was Jnana. Second one was Bhakti, the third one is Karam, and the fourth one is when you do it, I am the doer, I will do my best, if this didn't happen, I will try to manipulate that, etc., etc. In these four broad categories, you can classify, you know, how the action is done. Whether we understand action and actionlessness or anything like that. The fourth one is a common man without understanding, just doing it, and expecting results, and that, you know, driven by the Actually, the outcome. This is what I want, and hence I will do it. They say, "Oh, then course corrected. Uh, you know, oh, it's not happening." So these are. I could, you know, categorize it into four buckets. And the reason why I did is so. The first one there is the is the is the person with the understanding. There, you can do it only if. The mind is to a certain level it comes, it's not agitated by things, only then you can do it. The first first case. 
The second case, when you have complete devotion, I think even there the impurities of the mind should be lesser. Only then you are able to surrender to God. Only then it comes. The third one is where there are a little bit of impurities. Right? You have, and, and, and by impurities, I'm not just saying likes and dislikes, but you can, you can feel it. Sometimes bad thoughts come in. You know? So then it is the karmio. And the fourth one is, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, so, so wherever you are, you can pick up through that temperamentally, you will be better off picking that type of karma. The karma needs to be done in all four. Yeah, very well categorized. I like this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and the meditation bit and karma yoga can go hand in hand, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Alta, yeah. uh, I have a question there. Uh, the video that you sent of Sarpi uh, and ji, yeah. at the end of that video, in the last, I think, five minutes, mm -hmm. uh, and I was actually listening to it again before this class or this. Uh, session, um, he was talking about very differently, and and he was saying these are different, uh, and I'm not I'm not going to be able to fully articulate that very well. But what I understood was that he's saying, look, you you can you can just do it. The first stage is you do without uh, any self intention or or trying to benefit from it, right? You do it selflessly, and then the second thing he said. So the work and worship, they are two different things, but you're doing both of them. And then the second one is where work and worship are uh, coming together. And the third is where the work is worship. Um, right. So how does that framework layer onto what you categorization you were just talking about? Um, I think uh, there's a I do remember his one where it says first work and worship are two different things, then work and worship, and then work is worship. Right, yeah. That's exactly, um, that's right, that's right. Correct, yeah. Um, I think uh, there he is sort of laying a path, if you want to, that, you know, you start with doing selfless service, which will clean your mind, and then you get more into, then you need to concentrate your mind on one thing, whatever it is, then that becomes the worship. So you concentrate, so that's what Ajay was saying, you do both. So meditation, while meditating you are worshipping, while working you are working. So the, the two things are going hand in hand, but not together. And in the next level, actually your medit your work becomes a meditation practice. You do right. it self-clean, you do it with concentration, you, your mind is actually, I think the great example in Vedanta is, you know, where a lover keeps thinking about, where a, where a lady keeps thinking about her lover and yet keeps doing the work in the, in the kitchen. It can go together, you know, it doesn't hamper each other. So that is work and worship. You know, very, very <laughs> example sometimes with us, but <laughs> that's the essence of it, you know. <laughs> Right, but my question was more about, you know, understanding how does that framework work, works with the, um, the categorization that you were describing, right? Because, or is that, is that completely different altogether? That's what I was trying to hear. Okay, from that angle, but I was thinking, sometimes we are, we are thinking, what, what way should I do? You know, then, temperamentally, what will fit with me? 
See, if you are not a devotee, trying to say that, you know, God is doing it through me, that doesn't come easily, how much ever you try, if you are not devotional in nature. Yeah. No, I, I happen to know somebody. Yeah, whatever I happened to know someone, uh, and I couldn't understand that, uh, that I, I could never understand that feeling, right, of uh, complete surrender, as an example. But then recently, you know, one of my wife's cousins is a, is a, is a big ISKCON um, disciple of, uh, you know, ISKCON for many, many years. Recently, I happened to speak to him, last week, in fact. Um, and then, as he was Talking to me, I realized that every time he says that, you know, Krishna does this through me, you know, he talks that way, right? Basically saying, I'm not doing anything here, right? Uh, I, I, you know, whatever I'm doing is for Krishna. I mean, that, that's how he speaks. That's when I realized, oh, man, yeah, it's a very different way of thinking, which I'm not able to understand, but I understand it, that, you know, I was but I'm not able to understand. I personally cannot internalize it, right? At this point, again, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying never, but, uh, yeah. And for me, personally, interestingly, I was always on the Gyan thing, and I said, you know, that is what is needed. And even because Vedanta describes what is each one, so you know even what, what it represents as an upadhi, right? Right. I'm understanding the concept of Advaita and becoming more devotional. It's very, very interesting. Okay. And I can see the point. So what Kishore, you're saying, I was absolutely there. How can, you know, how can one brainwash oneself, you know? <laughs> exactly what I used to say. Okay, yeah, that's why I, I don't know where it's going, but yeah, it might. <laughs> but I can see myself increasingly more devotional, though, you know, I snap back from it quite a few times into the, into the gyan, because that's temporarily how I am. And that's why I think I'm struggling with and hence I said, actually it is, it is okay to, for, to, to see how your temperament is. And then trying to follow that path, it comes very naturally. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, sorry. I, I just, uh, it was tricky actually. I, I, just to your point, um, I'm also surprised to see, uh, I've often wondered why, how Adi Shankar, who is, um, you know, the proponent of Advaitam, uh, actually has composed many um, uh, many songs that are uh, would be considered very devotional in nature also right so um, the combination uh, you you see in Adi Shankara too um, he is the one who's driving me towards devotion because I actually read Sandarya Levi which I had be, had put up for such a long time and okay. after understanding Advaita Vedanta I actually Read Sandarya Levi and I said, I can now see the beauty in in in, in God in devotion. Oh, okay. So it is Abhishekaraya who was the proponent of Advaita Vedanta. How did he compose so many devotional songs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want, I want it. it is shifting. It is interesting. You know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving back open out to what you said, right, and uh, kind of, you know, trying to connect some dots there, right? So, going back to my learning on Vishnu Sarsanama, there is, there is a word which describes uh, the, the awareness principle as Bhujaga Shayana, okay? That means 
someone who is sleeping on a serpent. Okay, Bhujaga is a serpent. Shayana is someone who is sleeping on it. Okay. And again, the symbolism of that particular word is so powerful. And let me explain what my symbolism of that word is, right? So, if you look at how we walk, we lift our leg up and place it and we walk. Right? That's what we do. Whereas, if you look at how a snake walks or crawls, right? You know, it takes, it, it's always in touch with the ground and it keeps, kind of keeps on crawling and moving forward. So, you know, divide the snake into multiple, let's say, segments. And one segment goes forward and then the next segment goes forward, goes forward and goes forward and then that's how it moves forward. So, the, that's the, you know, quote-unquote, the grosser physical interpretation. How do you apply that, right? So, as you, as you increase your knowledge one bit at a time, what happens is, your, your, like the snake crawling, we keep on crawling further, further for more and more knowledge. And that can happen, that can result in two things. One, it can result in so much of knowledge that, you know, you can, you can get rid of your desires and then say, desires are not relevant for me and then go, go on one particular path. It can also do the contrary. It can diverge yourself and you can, you'll be, you'll have thousands and thousands of desires going and you'll go more, mostly extroverted, right? So, there is someone who is sitting on top of a snake which crawls all the time by making this delta knowledge shift. Okay? That person is that almighty and once that person is sitting or lying down on you, then that crawling automatically stops because whatever that needs to be achieved is already there. That's the significance of Bhujana Sahaja. So that kind of you know, connects me to moving from, you know, yeah, knowledge is important, but at the same time, there is this entity which is, which can make that stop. And that's devotion. That can bring in devotion. I don't know if it makes sense or not, but I thought I'll just share that. Oh. So, Alpna, sorry, um, I was just going back to what four categories you were talking about. One was the common one, one was the God one. What were the other two? You are on mute. Can you hear me? So, one was Gyan, which was the first one, where you know you are not the body complex. So the body keeps working, the mind keeps justifying, it will find the best logic, what needs to be done, etc. But you are untouched, unchanged, not impacted, not affected. But you let yes. the body work. So that is where you are actually completely a non-doer. In the rest of the three, you are the doer. The second one is more devotion, which you said Bhakti. And then the third one is Karma Yogi, where you do it, but you understand that there are different forces which work on the outcome. So you are not worried about the outcome. Oh, you, I see. Okay. The true karmic. Right, right, right. Got it. Thanks for the Now, I guess your, your, your example was too deep. Uh, that, uh, you, you know, so I, I didn't get it. Very honestly, I didn't understand. Uh, when we're talking about the serpent and the knowledge uh, part. Yeah, I understand that. You know, what I'm saying is that, see, 
when we basically think of the analogy as to how a, a snake moves. The snake moves a little bit and then it moves on ahead because it gains some knowledge about where it has moved from, wherever it was, right? In zero it was here, then the first part moved here, then it understood that what this thing is and then it moved next and all that. Our mind also works like that, you know, we gain some knowledge, X amount of knowledge. With that X amount of knowledge, you know, we get X plus one knowledge. You get to go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. We keep on studying ourselves like that, right? And that is limitless, right? You can keep on doing whatever that you want to do. And that can lead us into two directions. One, because you gain some extra knowledge, it can, you know, for example, you know, when we were all growing up, mode of transportation, may, I have never even seen a car till my 10th grade, okay? Scooter was the best that I, that I saw. And uh, now, the knowledge has become so much that there are so many varieties of cars, right? Now I have more choices. I can choose a car which is the top-end car or the bottom-end car because, quote-unquote, knowledge has increased. But at the same time, I can go the reverse. I can say, you know, all of them, the common denominator is it takes me from point A to point B, right? So I can just say, no, I understand. My knowledge is there, but I don't need that, right? Either way it can go. Do you agree to that? Right? Now, why that happens is because we are crawling, our knowledge is increasing, okay? How can our knowledge, they can increase, but how can it make it stop what we quote-unquote do, right? Only when somebody is sitting on that, on that snake which crawls, you hold that snake in one place, okay? And the person who holds that snake, the symbolism, is Bhujagashayana, the person who sleeps or who lies down on a snake which can crawl. Likewise, our mind can crawl everywhere, right? So you go and you put your devotion on that entity which can stop your mind from crawling. That, does it make sense to you now? Read it. It's still unmute. <laughs> I was saying if you stop crawling, then how do you gain more knowledge? No, no. Knowledge is not the problem. Knowledge is not the problem. What is the output of the particular knowledge? Or Saranagati, surrender. Okay. Like the attitude, saying that, you know, everything, Krishna is doing it and I'm just an instrument. Right? That is, that is surrender. Then you're not letting your mind dictate what you're supposed to do. Right? That's why, you know, we're just kind of comparing the jhan part of it with the devotion part of it. Right? You know, some of us have been discussing this, right? You know, Kishore was saying, you know, Hare, uh, you know, everything Krishna does as one of his friends, example. You know, some of us can't relate it. What I'm saying is that they are not two separate things. They are separate at one point of time, but at some point of time they will merge together. Uh, what we call as Parabhakti, actually the Parabhakti that comes after you gain the knowledge, it's the most beautiful thing. Okay. And by the way, you know, what we are talking is, Gita covers it in the next chapter, huh? It covers it in the next chapter. And maybe, you know, we are doing like a quote-unquote revision or precursor or preamble or whatever it is, right? Okay. It, it, we are not talking anything which is out of syllabus, syllabus. Out of syllabus, yes. No, I, I mean, okay. at least speaking for myself, uh, <laughs> I have this unique combination going on with the Gita book as well as the Vedanta Bhokratis that you shared with me, and then Sarpiyananda Ji. 
and then all the other videos. So, you know, there's a nice khichdi going on. But fortunately, so far, it has been all under control. <laughs> That's why I, I was telling Rajesh the other day, I can't, uh, I just get overwhelmed with the amount of discussion and everything. So I'm just kind of kicking one or two and that's it or like so I don't yeah. even I, otherwise it's just overwhelming and then I don't know where I'm heading or even what I've understood or what I haven't understood then. and yeah. see I know my view is also similar that I'm I'm just saying if I don't understand I'll come back to it later and then spend more time on it because I'm not expecting myself to get it in one shot right to the extent you approach it like that then it doesn't become a burden. It's just saying that, okay, you know, if, if I don't get it, you know, I will try and get it somewhere else. And I think that's what is working. I see by reading the Vedanta book and Gita and Satyananda because they, they're all coming from uh, the same school of thought. And that, that repetition from different angles seems to be working better for me. If that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. I also tell you one more thing. You know, the, this is this is. Uh, I think some study has been done somewhere. I don't exactly recollect where it was done. Here is how we all learn, right? When you are sitting in a class, mm. say you are sitting in a classroom learning any subject, something what the teacher says, there will be an aha moment in our brain. After right. that aha moment, whatever the teacher says will go OHT for you. <laughs> because you have shifted yourself to somewhere else. Because something that you have not understood suddenly clicked. Your mind is like no more receptive because you're so ecstatic. And then you have to come back again to that absorbent state and then learn. And that is why that repetition works. Whether you like it or not, this is the reality of our brain, of how our brain works. The best brain captures 25% of what is sensible. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to feel the pressure of all the links and the videos and now I can, oh. I just do what I can. I yeah, very true. Yeah. You will come across the right video when you are ready for it. <laughs> Absolutely, and you are right. I mean, there are, there are times you are thinking something and you, you hear it and you say, well, this is what I was looking for. And it kind of relates also that to what you said about, uh, you know, the, your, your kind of dialogue with your baby, about sort of getting what you kind of had in your mind but you never articulated it. Yeah. So it's very, very similar, you know, you kind of think come to you when they have to come to you. Yeah. So, uh, this is just a question. You said uh, the Gita book and the Vedanta book. The Vedanta book, the book that we're reading is the Gita book, right? Yeah, so uh, I had asked Rajesh long time ago that I want to start reading Vedanta. Uh, so he had shared this book by one of the Swami's introduction to Vedanta. Okay. So I was listening to that because you know while we are while we were discussing Karam Yoga, I was reading Karam Yoga in that book. So it was just the same topic being discussed in different ways by different Swamiji's. Right? That's that's what I found very interesting because uh, since we are coming from the same school of thought, um, and and you know. I am reading them at different points in time and it's almost like going back and doing a revision but not from the same textbook but a supplementary yes. textbook or yes. uh, listening to the lecture by Sathyanandaji. So I think that's what seems to be working well for me. Yeah, you know? okay. and, uh, yeah no, that, that makes sense and I think uh, 
with multiple views kind of saying the same thing can kind of help sort of clarify in your head. Uh, one one other question, Alpana, you you so the four uh, pages that you talked about. Is it fair to say that Gita focuses on karma yoga? No, it will it will focus on all. All of Focus on all four. Okay, understood. Yeah. The the way I think Alpana or Kishore uh, or Rajesh or somebody said it at some point that you know the way I have understood is that Gita is essentially the best of Upanishads. So whatever yeah. is in the Upanishads is being distilled by uh, Krishna to teach Arjuna in different ways. So so it's like you know what Alpana was saying. You can it's like a menu. You can pick what you like. If Bhakti Yoga appeals to you, go that route. If you pass the yoga, please to you, you go that route, or you know, karam yoga, please to you, you go that route, right? It's just essentially trying to remove that ignorance uh, and get there. So yeah. initially, I, I I understood initially as one or the other, and then I later I, it was clarified at least that uh, in my mind that it, in some ways it 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 is a it is sequential in the sense nana yoga is at the top uh, that's where you want to go and karma yoga is needed to um, sort of purify our mind or rather to neutralize our samskaras right so which is where most of us are and we need to have that prerequisite done before you step on to the next one in other words i think a meditation is um, when they say vedantic meditation which is mostly nididhyasana right um, is is harder to do if we have not done the prerequisite of karma yoga. And if our mind is still very, very extroverted, and it's hard to uh, bring it back into one thing, which is what meditation wants us to do. Right? So, in a, in a way, it is a prerequisite. Um, bhakti is one thing I have not really, I, I must say, categorized it very well. right? And uh, Because I have not internalized it. Uh, um, and then, nana yoga is where, uh, yes, obviously, you realize the separation between uh, self and the mind body, right? Uh, and you have internalized that separation. So, uh, that's when the pure knowledge is set in. But, you know, these are three requisites in a way, right? Um, you need the mind to be certain, at a certain level of subtlety, and then in meditation you actually observe, right? You, you, um, you kind of see it, see the reality to some extent, and then over a period of time you see more and more of it, and then you're getting more and more convinced. And then it's not like at that time you don't you haven't heard of Nara Yoga at all, but you may have heard it. The Shravanam has happened, just like what we are doing here. Uh, so in meditation you are slowly seeing bits and pieces of it. So you are slowly getting convinced. Yep, yeah, this might be so, right? Because otherwise self is an abstract concept, but in meditation it actually becomes real, right? You 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 can be that subject at least for momentarily. Um, at different points you become that subject, right? So. Uh, to me, uh, in, in a way, they are different parts of the uh, process. Uh, they are all kind of happening together. It's not like uh, Nana Yogi doesn't do karma or, you know, uh, or if you are doing um, meditation, karma yoga is also happening in parallel. At the same time, you are listening to uh, the, the, the Nana Yoga part of it. Uh, and um, Mananam is also happening. You may, may not have internalized it completely. But you are in the process, right? So all of them are happening in uh, together in my in, in my um, understanding. 
but 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 uh, you know most people uh, you think you are right because most people when they pick Gita when they read it they think it is mostly karma yoga and part of the reason is very intuitive you know uh, it's because yeah. most of us who have not uh, come across let's say the, who have not studied the Gita in in the true sense exactly some of them just study right a long time they spend the time you know you just pick up something and then what appeals to us is what are my needs. At that point of time, oh. you know. Yeah. At that point of time, if if I, you know, if somebody comes and says you are the supreme awareness, okay, think I, you know, uh, how does it matter? My life still the same, right? It, it doesn't matter. For most people, it really doesn't matter, and most people are not interested. That's why in in Gita it says it's a Raja Gupta Raja Gupta Yoga. This is chapter. It says it's a royal secret, which is royal secret is an open secret. You keep it open, and nobody will understand it. That's what they say. Not because we can't understand it. Because people are not ready. They are not ready. They are not ready. And why they are not ready? They are not ready like what Krishna or Dhanpana is saying. They are not ready because the mind is not ready. The mind is not attaining. So in the beginning of this uh, discussion, I summarized the what we learned so far. All the while, they are trying to. All the while, what we have learned is that karma yoga is an essential step for us to understand that our lives and this life are being neutralized. We have to do unselfish work at this point. Why? Because the karthutva bhavana has to reduce. Why it has to reduce? Because you have to understand clearly, not intellectually, a little bit better than intellectually, that you are not the body, you are not the mind. You have to get to that stage. That is the preparation step. And to accelerate that, the next few topics what Krishna will introduce is meditation. Okay? I think oh. you summarize it very well. Actually, the next chapters go into meditation. Okay, and the reason is very exactly this: for us to gain that knowledge. Karma yoga can keep on doing. You know, for hundred years you can do it, and you can do all that also. Okay, but to accelerate it, what do you need? It talks about meditation. Yeah. And then you say, oh, this thing, this thing makes more sense to me, right? And then that's why meditation is so important. And then you move to the next step. Oh, now I have understood this. But I don't think I'm appreciated it much better. I am that okay. I am that happy. I am that happiness. I have not understood it. Okay. Then you get into the real meaning of what I have done, and then you get into that upasana. Okay. Then you do it, and then you get to that stage. That's the part. Okay. So it's one, two, three, four steps. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but those steps are spiraling ones. <laughs> I think they're not discrete from each other. I think, yeah, and I think it's very, uh, it becomes easier than the minute you know that one might lead to another, but one needs to exist before you actually go to the other one, yeah. And it will continue, you know, they kind of overlap each other, right? It's not like one is done, okay, now I'm done with this, I can go to the next yeah, like yeah. It's a scaffold in a thought, but yes, it is fluid. Yeah, absolutely. And he starts with the jnana. That means you need that basic understanding that there is something beyond. Otherwise, it's very hard to even think about any of these, right? So, he starts with little, little teaser of jnana yoga and then goes into karmi yoga. Yeah. Think about this, okay? The very fact that, you know, it's almost getting to five months that, you know, none of you guys have come late for this particular discussion and you are ex exhibiting, participating interest shows that you know, you feel that there is something beyond this mind and body, okay? You may not know what it is now. I may not know what it is now, but 
we intuitively know what that there is something beyond that. And it's our quest to go there. Now, here is the, here is the sad part of it. The point is even tomorrow if you switch off this and you don't want to come to this, very unfortunate, the knowledge has come to you, you don't have a choice that will work on your brain. Okay? That's a sad part of that. That's a sad part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, I had a question. Sorry, go ahead, Ajay. So, so I was just asking that when you are saying these four stages intermingle, overlap, so where does Bhakti Yoga fit into that? Because see, Karm Yoga I understand is basically what we are doing in our daily life. And I understand the part, or I think I understand the part of saying that you need to calm your mind and get rid of life's dislike and do meditation. So that's all in preparation of trying to, you know, be more recipient of this uh, next path, right? Whatever it may be. But my my thing is, I just see them as different paths which may eventually come together, but depending on who you are, you may desire to take one path to start with, right? Because the underlying thing to me, the way I have understood is that meditation and eating right and sleeping right, you know, all those things are sort of the base level things that you have to do. But after that, whether, you know, like uh, what Kishore was saying, his friend, they have just gone yeah. totally into yeah. Krishna. So for yeah. them, it becomes easier to find that next stage, yeah. uh, which doesn't mean that they are not doing uh, meditation or they are not doing, uh, you know, the right deeds, etc., etc. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. If I'm, I'm missing something, in saying that these are different paths and depending on what appeals to you, you go that path. I think I can say personally for, for me where something had worked even though I keep saying that I'm more on the gyan, when things don't work your way, bhakti was always there as a faith. Right. Correct. Right. 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 This switch into bhakti is so expensive for not right for God. But Chalo could be <laughs> Just complete the book, Nihana Chinde. Right. And just like, I don't understand the karma yoga. So it's not a little bit, but dominantly you will find them. Temperamentally you will be hooked to one side of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, also there is yeah, another, there's another reason. Let me share this, okay? See, today, if, if uh, somebody, say, somebody tells you, like what, you know, you've seen Swami Nityananda's videos, right? If, if, if somebody says, you know, can you declare, Viti or anybody, you know, can you declare I am God? Answer is no. Okay? 99.999 recurring will say no. Okay? Because we are not yet ready to claim that. But intellectually you know that that is who we are. Correct or wrong? Okay? But we are claim it. You can't claim it. So what you say is, then you externalize that attribute to somebody else separately and you call that as God. Okay? So now you make a distinction between you and God. Okay? After some more years of sadhana, oh, then you see a third person called God coming in the equation. Okay? Don't give me zook in the thing. And that goes on over, over multiple, you know, uh, sadhana, years of sadhana. And then at some time, when you're ready, you say, oh, whatever the thing is, attributes, I also have the same attributes, or I am developing those attributes. 
Then there's merger together like this. Then you can say, I am that. So far, it is not me. I know that the distinction because I cannot accept myself the way it is, the way that I am. Therefore, I need a uh, idol or I need a entity or I need something external to me because we still have that feeling that we are not that. But over a period of time, over sadhana, that thing will go away. Okay, and once it goes away, then you know that bhakti is all fine. But ultimately, whom am I praying to? It's me. That's me. But that feeling will again go up. Okay, after some time, that that feeling, that 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 intense feeling that I am, that will go up. And then you again externalize. Oh, externalize. For a period of time, when you are able to do it for much, much more longer period of time, then you know that you are. Not that. And in case when you work with enlightened people, will still not say they are God. So they know, they live it, but they will not say it <laughs> that I am God. Except you cannot be. No way. So I, I agree. <laughs> point, you know, the way he comes across is a little bit <laughs> unlike an enlightened, but he is enlightened. <laughs> Whatever. Um, like even it's an interesting point which uh, Vivekananda had brought up that Ramakrishna Paramhans, he is uh, a symbol of bhakti. Because for him, Kali was the whole thing, right? But inside, he was all jnana. And Vivekananda for himself said, from outside, I am all jnana. Because he never displayed that bhakti. But he said, internally, I am all bhakti. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's a very, I was surprised to know that. (laughs) And, and I think it's also um, a shout out to the fact that we are different and we get, we might be attracted towards one or the other, right? The the uh, the knowledge path or the, the Raj Yoga path, which is what Vivekananda uh, he spoke about, right? Uh, he, that was his favorite, which is the meditation path, and then and then bhakti, which is Iskon, It's all bhakti, right? If you look at it, it it's all that. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, it's just a. Um, Admitting that there are people who will gravitate towards one or the other, and it's uh, um, I, 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 as I said, I, I think you also pointed out uh, that you're coming back in a circle. You're kind of seeing certain things, and um, and for me, actually, uh, uh, times of crisis is when I realized that yeah, actually God doesn't exist, but it, it, it didn't. Uh, you know, whether you uh, kind of a thing happens, and it's like, all right, I I, I don't. Uh, I, kind of takes you out at this point and uh, that's how it went for me. <laughs> so, so, and then I, uh, that's when I started figuring this out and to me it brought me down this path. Um, so now I'm thinking, so when negative is going fine, actually I'm more in a bhakti mode. <laughs> when things are not going fine, I am not this. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> None of this is... The thing is, Mitya, <laughs> let it be. <laughs> There's an interesting story here. I think most of you would have read that story. Kishore, what is that prompted me to say the story? You know, the story goes something like this. You know, I'm walking on the, on the, by the seashore and, you know, God is walking along with me. And after some time, I suddenly see that uh, only one set of footsteps are there. Then I turn around and say, what happened? You know, in that moment when the tempest was coming, you were not there. You said, no, 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 I was there. I was just carrying you at that time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good story. 
Alma, I'm also becoming like you. That you know, when in tough times, I'm saying it's not me. <laughs> I don't even care. Especially these times. I'm procrastinating some tough calls that I'm paid and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in a mood to get, or I'm not in the right frame of mind. I just keep saying that and it's yeah. not me, right? It's, it's just my, anyway, that, yeah, but, yeah. So next week, are we going moving forward, uh, Rajesh, or are we, are we staying on this chapter? Uh, no, I think we can move forward unless you guys think uh, we need to revise actionlessness and action. You know, I think, uh, I, you know, just to, just to sum up the whole thing, right? Actionlessness and action, action and actionlessness is basically from a, from a karma yoga perspective is all about whether you claim that, you know, like what Anupama, you were saying, whether you think in your mind, okay, that you are the doer. Okay, then you have that feeling that Kartrutva is there, then you are in action. Okay, that's all it is. Right? Yeah. When you truly say, Krishna is doing it through me, truly, in your heart of heart, you don't have to justify anybody, except to your own self. Okay? Then you are in action lessness. And you can go and do anything that you want. That's my summary. Okay? But if you feel that this needs a little bit more revision, and we need to talk about it, you know, we can do it. Otherwise, I feel that we are ready to move on to the next one. I think we should move on more because, you know, you, I don't think we'll ever have, like, any point that we, all of us will at the same time say that we've all had an absolute understanding or see how to apply it. I think we'll have to scaffold from here, move to the next part, and then draw again, go back if we need to, and then move forward. Otherwise, we could just get into this loop of just staying stuck yeah. at one point. Yeah, I And that's the reason why I summarized it today because I wish I could have recorded it. Uh, I, I definitely wrote it down and summarized it because, you know, and sometimes it's possible that we would have, we would have got lost, right? And uh, we should really understand what is the, what is the path that you've charted the last five months so that, you know, everything falls into perspective. That's why I, you know, wrote it. Unfortunately, I couldn't record it, but that's, that's the way it is. So, um, so I guess that we can move on. And I, I kind of, you know, glance through the next chapter and I feel we can, cover the entire next chapter for the next 15 days, not for the one week, for the next 15 days. Uh, we can, you know, like, you know, we are not stopping out of some specific pages, but let's uh, use the next 15 days to go through till page 75. Yeah. Okay, 68 to 75. Yeah. Okay. Alpana, will you send us a copy? I still haven't been able to get a... Um, <laughs> no, I can't seem to get it here, obviously. Um, and just with not ordering online because I feel online ordering has other things to deliver other than my book. <laughs> Thank you, Rajesh. We will discuss this next chapter over the next two weeks. Is that what you're saying? For next week? Yeah. yeah. Next yeah. two weeks. Yeah. Okay. See, it is um, it is it, it is not a not a very uh, you know long one. There are a few pages, and there are a lot of Sanskrit verses in between. So you just keep the Sanskrit verses. The number of English words that we have to digest is not not a lot. It's okay. We can do that. Fair enough. We don't have to do it in one week. You know, uh, two weeks. You can uh, 
we can understand it and then we can go to the next. See, I think this is the, uh, you know, maybe it may, it may make sense for me to summarize one more thing, right? The Gita has got 18 chapters and we've divided into 666, okay? So, if you finish this next uh, chapter, what we are supposed to do in this book, we would have finished the first six chapters in Gita. Okay? And why it has distributed as 666 is, the first six defines I, the word I, okay, broadly, right? The next six defines the word that, okay? The last six defines am, okay? So the entire 16 chapters is I, that, am. That's how you should look at it. Did I make sense or did you confuse you guys? Anupama, I, I don't, I, I see a confused question mark on your no, because the audio went off, so I couldn't okay. hear what you said. Okay. No, what I said was, you divide the Gita uh, 18 chapters into uh, 3 of 6, 6 chapters each. Okay? The first 6 broadly focuses on the topic I. Okay? The next 6 focuses on the topic that. Okay? The last 6 focuses on the topic am. Basically, it equates I am that. In a fashion saying that first six is I, next six is that. Okay. Then we say who you are and the next six says who is that quote unquote God, the next six chapter. And the last six chapter says if you want to claim that you are God, what do you have to do? That's what it says. Okay. Okay. And so the next the chapter that we're reading is this textbook now, right? If we complete uh, in the next fifteen days, we'll have finished the first six chapters of the Gita. Uh, At the time, we should have basically had a good understanding of who is I. That's what I meant. Rajesh, Rajesh, on a lighter note, we have established that we are all God. So shall we just skip to the last six chapters of the Gita? You don't need that also. <laughs> so you establish that you are God, you don't need that. <laughs> no, no, but, but how, what do you need to do to get there? We all are one, right? So now we need to figure out what we need to do to get there. <laughs> You know, I'm <laughs> pretty sure you'll go and read that. I'm pretty sure about it. I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> No, no, no. I tell you why I will not do that. Because Alpha has got me on this, uh, what is that, Manisha? Yeah, Manisha Panjigam. So I am in that group right now. It's 14 more TV. I'm only on the second one. So my next target is to just continue to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I finished Paroksha Anubhuti. No, no, you finished Manisha Panchakam. 44 is the Paroksha Anubhuti. Yeah. You're doing the last six chapters, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think I'm on the first two ones of, of that 44 series. So I think Paroksha Anubhuti. Yeah, the, yeah, the Manisha Panchakam is just four, right? I thought. Yeah, including Uttarakhand is seven. Oh, I see. No, yeah, yeah. Paroksha Anubhuti is the 44 one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I haven't done that one, but I think, I, anyway, it's confusing, but I think I listened to that somewhere else. So I'm, I'm all jumbled up here and there. <laughs> no, so now I'm going in sequence. You know, whichever way that you go, right, you know, I think if you, if you follow one uh, sequence, right, it's all fall into place. And uh, the only request that I have for you, which is probably not a word of caution, but something that you may want to remember this. See, uh, Anupama, you know, you also mentioned that there's so much information comes through, right? You know, my only request is, uh, because there are so many different philosophies and all that stuff, 
and since Swami Dayananda is a follower of the Shankaracharya lineage, you know, just to, before you read any link or you know, uh, watch a video, to make sure that the time is well spent, figure out first of all whether it follows the Shankaracharya lineage or not. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, otherwise you can get confused. I mean, information will still be good. You know, it will not go waste for you. But there is a chance that you may get confused. Okay. So just figure that thing out. If it, if it says Advaita Vedanta as the Shankara like then say Shankara Pashyam. Then you know that, you know, it will follow the same school of thought. Otherwise you still get the same material, but thoda confusion goes up there. Kabi kabi. In the way people interpret. For example, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, if you go and read Bhagavad Gita as it is by uh, uh, by AC Bhaktiriya that I tell you, you will not understand anything. Yeah, no. no. Yeah. You will not understand. Not that they are wrong, it's just that we have started training ourselves in this fashion. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is where the problem is. Lokmanya Gangadhar, uh, Lokmanya Bal Gangadhar this is mostly on Karma Yoga. So that's also slightly different. So there that concept of I is not that strong. So interestingly, that is quite confusing. Even though it is for masses. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only word of caution that I have for you. So please yeah. remember that. Okay. Great. All right. Great one and a half hours spent. Well spent today. Let's close the yeah. shopping here. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Have a good night.